Hey everybody, it's Whitney here. Hey, it's Macy here. With Macy McLean and Whitney Coonan. You'll figure out how to swim eventually. At the end of our life, what do we want to be our story? We're sharing success and sparking power. You're listening to You're listening to Power in Heels. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're really, really excited to have you. And I mean, the, you know, the company that you work for that you help run is really unique. So we want to talk about that a lot too. And then we also want to talk about your story and how you ended up in this position and your journey there and all the lessons that you've learned. So thank you, first of all, for joining us. This is really exciting. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess we should just start off right at the beginning, kind of your early career. You've had the opportunity to work as a project manager and build your own product from the ground up, essentially, which that must have been a really great learning opportunity for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that all kind of jump-started your career too? When I graduated university, I went to business school, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do from a career perspective. I actually had a joint degree in business and kinesiology and thought I would go into sports management or uh, you know health-related field. And I was really fortunate to have a connection with an entrepreneur. He was running a startup. It was in uh, the customer experience space. So basically, we worked with businesses, often big Fortune 500 companies to better understand how the customer was feeling about their experience. What attracted me to the company wasn't necessarily the industry or who we were selling to or any of that. It was the opportunity to work in a really small company and make a difference. And I thought like, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. This is a great experience for me to kind of be an entrepreneur, but within the realm of a company that had some customers and was doing some sales and, and all of those things. So I joined as an account manager and very quickly after about six months was like, okay, this is not exactly what I want to do. I really liked the company. I really liked the people who I work with. Uh, actually, my soon-to-be husband who I'm marrying in two months, Aww. I met him there. Um, so I have lots of ties and, and connections to that company still. But the reality was I didn't love the job I was doing. And it was a really great opportunity because I went for lunch with our CEO one day and he just said, if you could do anything with the business, what would you do to provide our customers with more value? And it was right when is going to date me, but it was right when Facebook had just launched. Brands were just trying to figure out how to use social media and Facebook to engage with their customers in a way that was very authentic and real. And so I went to him one day and I said, hey, I have this idea. And within this business of customer experience, there's something called the Net Promoter Score or MPS, as most people are familiar with this type of metric. And basically what it does is it asks one question, which is how likely are you to recommend this experience to your family or friends? Basically, you get a score. We have an MPS score at Willful. A ton of companies that are out there operating use this as a leading indicator as to do people really like what we're doing and are they willing to share those experiences with their friends, which will then drive more sales and revenue and all of those things down the road. And I kind of said, like, what if we asked them to recommend online via social media, via Facebook and Twitter? Like, what if we turned NPS as a concept into a real thing? Obviously, everyone was super excited about it. Facebook had APIs and things that we could tap into. And so he said, hey, like, do you want to run this? Do you want to build this product? It was obviously very daunting because I had no product management experience, but I jumped at the chance because I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to build something from the ground up. I was super curious about social media. I was using it personally. And so I wanted to see how that would translate to the 
the business world and all of these things. So basically what happened is he gave me a budget and he said, go build the product. And I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, <laughs> I had to take it upon myself, mostly because I didn't want to miss an opportunity. I could have sat back and said, actually, I'm not a product manager. We better go find a product manager. But I was curious and I really want, I thought this could be like a really cool way to learn something new in tech. Like it's just such a huge industry. Mm -hmm. I kind of understood that technology would be something that I could probably carry with me. So I moved over to the role. I had to work with a whole bunch of developers. I'm sure they were completely not thrilled that I was managing <laughs> this product and didn't know anything about technology. But it, what it did is it really forced me to be curious and take on the responsibility of teaching myself. So I did a lot of reading. I read a ton of articles. I read books and blogs on product management. I attended courses. I uh, also built some really close relationships with the team. So I was fortunate that I kind of just said to the engineers like, hey, I don't really understand this. Help me understand. And more often than not, they were generally willing to educate me on the tech stack we were using and all of these things. And then I, I also found a mentor in my company. So we didn't have a formal product team at the time, but we had lots of people who had worked in product environments and technology environments. And so I just went to him and I said, like, teach me everything you know about the ins and outs of building product requirements and doing customer research and the principles of agile software design and all of these things. So it worked. You know, I learned a lot. It was kind of like building the plane as you're flying it in a lot of ways yeah. as the analogy goes. <laughs> but it was really successful. We were, the product was used by about 80% of our client base. We got a patent on it. We were doing about a million dollars in revenue over, I would say, kind of three or four years of, of building that and making it successful and selling it into our client base. And we had had hundreds of thousands of users. So it wasn't easy. Like obviously yeah, looking no. back, <laughs> yeah, looking back, you're like, oh yeah, like you know, I just learned everything and we just made this thing happen. There was lots of like missteps and failures along the way. But I think what I learned through that experience was super foundational and just how I've been able to build my career since then. And then mm -hmm. also just how I like approached problem solving and tackling different problems. So, you know, I think the first thing that I learned was obviously jump at an opportunity if you're excited about it and it feels right. Even if you don't know a lot about it, those are things you can learn. Don't let lack of knowledge or expertise get in the way. Obviously, to be an engineer, you need to know how to write code. So this may not apply in all roles, but if you're interested in learning those things, like go take a course in a, in a lot of our roles, especially in like operations or marketing or sales, like these things can be learned. It's really about your personality and your drive and your tenacity and your curiosity that will help you succeed. And I think this has really helped propel my career because through my career, I've been fortunate to be able to work in different areas of different businesses and work on special projects. And I think that's kind of where how I landed at Willful is just being curious and trying something new and putting yourself out there. Yeah, well, it obviously pays off. And, you know, all those experiences help you learn, like you just said. You kind of, you, you said like a little phrase there that reminded me of something. So you said, build the plane as you're flying it. And I know a previous guest of ours has also said something like this. So it seems to be a very common phrase. And she said that she likes to jump off the cliff and grow wings on the way down, okay, which seems get... like a quite aggressive uh, analogy, but <laughs> it's, it's true. And I can really see how, you know, through all these stories and your story and the other people that we've talked to already, how this is a very common thing. But what comes along with that, I know, is probably a lot of internal struggles and a lot of maybe imposter syndrome or fear because there's nothing to say that jumping off the cliff is not scary or going for it is not scary. So how do you work to kind of build that confidence or keep that confidence in yourself when you're doing something that is quite a bit scary or unknown? Not setting your expectations too high is very important. I try to break down things that might seem overwhelming or big into like manageable steps. That seems to help. So you don't have to know everything today. You can learn 
learn and grow your knowledge. And as you learn one thing that will build your confidence and then you'll know the answer to that next time. And then you go and learn the next thing. And then you just build your, your knowledge base very organically. So I think that's been a way to think about it is like not to get too ahead of yourself that can get you in trouble. And I think just surrounding myself with different people that are really supportive. I think what makes Willful really special as a company and what I was attracted to is that there's no expectation that any of us know all the answers. I know in some companies that may be different and culture plays a big role there, but the reality is, especially in startups, we're often doing things for the very first time. Like part of the definition of a startup in some ways is building the plane as you're flying it, right? Because yeah. you don't know what challenges you are going to run to and you can't anticipate, you know, every opportunity or challenge that comes your way. So surrounding myself with people that have that mentality and that are willing to work together to find a solution or support you if you fall down. My dad has a saying that is fail to feel smarter. And I truly believe oh. that is a really good way to conduct yourself both personally and professionally, which is like, we're all going to mess up, right? You know, if we don't learn something from that, and then we do make the same mistake again, it's like, okay, give yourself a slap for that. But if you fail and you learn something and you apply that the next time, then you're moving forward, you're learning and you're going to ultimately improve. So it's a lot of it is a mindset and then surrounding it and putting yourself in an environment where learning and messing up and curiosity is favored and respected and, you know, something that everyone wants to do. Coming up next on Power in Heels. If you don't decide, the government gets to decide. And I think we would all agree the government making decisions is not something <laughs> that we want to do, especially when it comes to our estate. As we continue down this career path of yours, you actually at one point opened up your own food business, which is very cool. Can you tell us, or I guess you had mentioned, sorry, that you, I guess this experience taught you a lot about yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so I had worked at this company, the one that I was talking about where I worked in product and built out the social media recommendation application. And I had worked in a few different areas of that business. I was, I think the 15th employer, 20th employee. We grew that company through two acquisitions to maybe 350 or 400 people. And wow. I just wanted to take a step back. I love the startup grassroots, like small team type of environment. And it was just feeling too big. And I had done, I'd accomplished a lot there and I had met really great people. And I just decided it was time to move on. And as I mentioned, I come from a really entrepreneurial family and some of the, the businesses that my family has been in have been food businesses. And so I thought, hey, I kind of know that industry and I really like cooking and food's always been a passion of mine, both eating, but also creating and all of these things. So I decided that I wanted to take a shot at creating a food business. The idea that I had was to create a really nutrient dense line of fruit and veggie purees that you could add to food that kids love. So think pancakes, brownies, pasta, to ensure that they got the nutrients they needed, but that they were still eating foods that they love. I have stepkids uh, who are 10 and eight. I can attest to the fact that they <laughs> love eating things that aren't good for them and hate eating <laughs> things that are good for them. And yes, I mean, there is a way to solve that and make those two come together. That is like a win for every parent. So I, ca I called the company Mealtime Hero, uh, which I thought was, uh, you know, a really kind of like Mealtime Hero saves the day kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I set out to build a company. So I hired some food scientists to help me formulate the food purees because they had to be shelf stable and be able to ship in trucks and all of these things. I hired a branding and marketing agency to help with package design. I started 
doing trials and, and tests with parents and kids. And I was making things in my kitchen and it was looking really, really good. I was liking it. I was learning things. But as I got more and more into it, I started talking to more people in the industry. I got closer to going to market. I just, I had this nagging feeling or thought at the back of my mind that it just wasn't right. I started to really reflect on why I was doing it and, you know, was this the right move for me and what was I liking about it? What was I not liking about it? What was I missing from being in that high growth tech environment? Ultimately, I came to the decision that it just wasn't right for me. I was really missing the high growth tech space. I was really missing the collaboration and the team environment. I was a one man or one woman, I, I guess I should say person in a kitchen <laughs> with a hairnet. <laughs> and I know that ultimately I could have grown the company to be bigger than that. And I wouldn't have been doing those things, but it ultimately came down to like, this is going to take three, five, seven years to grow this thing to a time where I'm not in the kitchen or I can hire people. And is that really one, how I want to spend my time? That was when I made a really hard decision to start to explore other things. You know, I started talking to people you know, working my network. And I ultimately met Aaron, who is uh, the CEO of Willful Ambury. I discovered Willful and I haven't looked back. Again, like there was lots of money spent on it and lots of time invested. And, you know, this feeling of, did I fail? Like I, I didn't do what I set out to do, but I think ultimately I'm so much more happy doing what I'm doing today than I would have been doing Mealtime Hero because I'm achieving all of those things that I really like. I have a great team that I work with. Aaron and I work so closely together every day and I work with a team of 15 people. You know, I'm in this like high growth tech space. I'm working on a very mission driven product, which is the state planning and wills. And so I think what I learned from this experience is like, you have to really know yourself and be really honest with yourself around what motivates you and make sure that you're spending your days doing those things. And it's okay to say no to something and to give up on something as again, as long as you take from something from that and apply it to the next thing that you do. Absolutely. I mean, that's some really good advice. I know there's lots of people who get to points in their career where they're unsure and they might want to change, but that's a one again, a really scary thing to do or a hard thing to do because they've put so much into it already and they're not sure if that's the right way to go. I'm glad that you shared that advice there and, and your experience with it. Now you do mention Willful a lot and I want to get to Willful. <laughs> so let's talk about this company right from the basics. I'm sure our listeners don't already know, but how it started, how does it work? What is Willful? Before we jump into that, I will I will give a little uh, plug, which is if any listener out there is looking to take on a very interesting food business idea, I've got <laughs> lots of things that you can take on. Contact me because I, I think it's a great idea and I think in the right hands it would thrive. Um, it just wasn't for me. I love but that. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to your question. So uh, yeah, Willful is an online estate planning company. And for those that don't know, estate planning is a really important uh, aspect of financial wellness and financial planning. And basically, estate planning is around preparing yourself when the inevitable happens and you pass away. Not many things that are certain in life. Death is one of those. And what we try to do at Willful is make it really easy and affordable for people to put their will and power of attorney documents in place. And so a will is basically a document that dictates your wishes when you pass away around who you want your stuff to go to and who would get guardianship over your children and pets. A power of attorney document is a document that specifies who would be in charge of decision making around your property that you own, as well as your medical care, should you become incapacitated. So not necessarily die, but unfortunately, you know, 
you're in some sort of snowboarding accident or something like that and you can't make a decision, it, it dictates who can make those decisions for you. And there's lots of reasons people don't have those in place. Uh, so we try and make it, like I said, really easy and affordable to get those documents in place online from the comfort of your home in about 20 minutes. I mean, this is the exact opposite of what I think about when I think of writing a will. I think you sit down yeah. with some old lawyer <laughs> and his glasses and yes. he, he takes a oil and he writes down everything that you want. And and, and I also imagine myself being really old when I do that. But that's obviously yeah. not the case. You guys are a digital company. It's online. It's youthful. It's active. It's the exact opposite of what I think writing a will is like. And I think that's actually really important, the way that it feels different. Can you maybe talk about why you guys purposely did it like that? Because I'm sure there's a whole point there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So our co-founders, Aaron and Kevin, when they started the company a few years ago, they unfortunately went through an experience where a family member passed away and did have the necessary plans in place before he passed. And that led to a lot of arguing amongst family members, a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, they kind of sat back and said, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, why wasn't he prepared? And when they looked at the estate planning industry as a whole, what they found is it was really behind. It was not up to speed and they, it wasn't leveraging technology to make it more accessible. So you can sign for a house online, you can bank online, you can do all of these things online, but you can create a will. They set out to basically try to transform the estate planning process and move it online and make it using technology or able to turn what can be a complex process into a very easy set of steps. And so the goal was to basically make creating a will as simple as ordering an Uber or booking a hotel or an Airbnb and again, using modern technology to facilitate that and make it more accessible. Do you find that more people are actually signing up for a will now that it is accessible and can be done essentially from your couch at home if you wanted? Or do you, is there still this issue about trying to get people to know, like, you should, this is important, take it seriously kind of thing? The shocking numbers that we do, you know, consumer research all the time. And what we found is that about 60% of people don't have a will in Canada. And that number skyrockets to 90% of millennials. Even when you look at parents of minor children, so people with little kids, 65% of those people don't have a will. So I give spew stats all day, but the reality is that there's lots of people that don't have one. And what it comes down to is it's too expensive. I don't know where to start. I don't want to go see a lawyer. Some assumptions around why well, already know that my, you know, cat will get my stuff if I pass away, like some misunderstanding of the process. And I think ultimately what it comes down to, as you probably know, is it's a really hard topic to talk about. People don't want to talk about death and they don't want to face their own mortality. And so it often ends up at the bottom of the to-do list. So what we're trying to do at Willful is we're trying to break down those barriers and we're trying to create opportunities for people to, you know, drive awareness and understanding that it's actually a really simple document. If you can make a few key decisions, you can can create one online in about 20 minutes. And so what we see in our business is there's basically three primary barriers. So there's cost, it's too expensive. There's complexity, I don't know where to start. And there's convenience, I don't want to go and talk face to face with a human. So if we can reduce those barriers and provide opportunities to make it more affordable to do it from home, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, I think we're going to see those numbers drop. I think we have a lot of work to do. But online will companies such as Willful that are trying to lead the charge in that space are we have a big challenge but I think we're in a, a really good position to be able to help see those numbers go down. For sure. Now, I guess it's only fitting to ask you, what is your position at Willful and how did you end up joining the team? 
Yeah, so I am Chief Operating Officer at Willful. Right now, I'm actually acting as interim CEO while Aaron is on mat leave. They just had a beautiful little baby. And yeah, the CEO of Willful, Aaron, looks very outward. So she's talking to investors and building out the brand identity. And uh, she's amazing at all of the culture pieces and all of these things. And then the role of a COO is often more inward looking. So forecasting and budgeting and process improvement. And really, ultimately, we're a high growth startup. You know, we have investors, we want to grow like crazy. And so it's really ensuring that as a business, we have the people and the process in place to be able to scale as we grow. So that's my main kind of objective as COO. Often what happens in startups when you're in charge of operations, you also end up managing functions that we haven't hired for. We're a small team. So right now I also oversee our product as well as our partnerships team directly. And then I fill in some of the functions that we haven't hired for. So things like finance and HR. Wow. And I I know that you were one of the people to be hired during the pandemic. Was that right? It is. Yeah. So you worked virtually. I don't know if you still work virtually, but that's a whole other ballgame. And I know a lot of other people have this in common with you. How can you lead a team effectively online when you maybe haven't actually met them too many times in person? And how can you really make sure that when you're joining a team that you're a solid leader and that you have a good team environment when it's completely virtual? Yeah, it's it's a hard nut to crack and I don't have all the answers. I was (laughs) in some ways fortunate that I was actually our first fully virtual hire. All the rest of the team had been working in an office together and they were, I was the first person they hired since COVID. And so the nice thing about that was that I got to define our online culture and put in place some practices around team and culture and HR and all of these things based on my experience, right? And that's always, I think, the best way to learn. So when I joined, we overhauled our onboarding process. We you know, made information more accessible. We created training videos and things like that to just make the process feel a little bit more human. So there was those pieces. We also just have adapted the way that we work. I think one of the big things that we miss as a team not being in the office is the like, quote unquote, water cooler chats, which is between meetings, you're chatting, or if you have a quick question, it's like, hey, help me problem solve some of that stuff. So we try to create virtual ways of doing that. We start every one of our team meetings with a personal win and a professional win for the week. Uh, And the personal win really helps connect and understand what's going on out side of the company. We also have something that we call a manual of me. And the manual of me goes beyond your work preferences to talk about who you are as a person, what motivates you, what makes you nervous, what builds your confidence, what doesn't. And we share those amongst the team members so that we are all able to understand the different aspects of our personalities so that we know how to work and engage with each other in a virtual environment better. And that's been really, really helpful because I think a little bit of vulnerability, especially when you're on Zoom all day and like not able to have those team dynamics as often is really, really important. And then obviously we do the fun cultural things. We try to do those in person when we can and virtually when we can't. I think we've done a pretty good job of it. I think the challenge that we'll all face is just how do we maintain this going forward and keep the team culture that stood out to people when they joined, right? So it's an ongoing process and we have some partners that we work with who specialize in this stuff to also help guide us. And again, because we don't have an HR function specifically in the business, we do rely on experts and friends and mentors to the company to help formulate some of those things. And that's been really good for us. And now you mentioned during a pre-interview, 
the importance of having the right people in the right seats. Can you elaborate on what this means to you and also why it is so important? So yes, having the right people in the right seats is absolutely important. And what this means is, are the people that are in specific roles in your company, do they want to be there? Do they know why they're there? And is it something that motivates them? One of the first things that we look at when we're hiring people is, do they share the same values that the company imbues? as part of what we do every day. So things like empowerment or empathy or purpose. I think you'll see very, very quickly whether or not they're aligned with those things. And that is like table stakes, but sometimes hard to judge uh, until they're in the business. You also need really defined roles and responsibilities. So is it very clear to them what they need to do? We have something called an accountability chart. So it's basically an org chart, but it also defines your objectives in that role and what you're accountable for delivering. And that's just so it's very, very clear how each person in the business contributes to our overall goal. And then you need to make sure that they want it. There's a lot of people from what I've experienced and from what I've read who stay in jobs that they don't really want to do. Do they have the capacity and expertise to do the job as well? What I would say is you have to you have to ask those three questions. And if the answer to those three things is yes, they're probably the right person. If the answer to any one of those questions is no, then it may be that it's not a fit. My experience personally is that I think for many women in leadership positions, these types of decisions, so ensuring that you have the right people in the right seats can be really difficult because women lead with empathy so much. It's why we're great nurturers. It's why we are mothers. It's, you know, it's why we maintain great friendships. And these are all the most amazing qualities that make women so incredible. But I think when it comes to sometimes making difficult decisions. It's been my experience, and I talk about this a lot with other women leaders and in tech and other businesses, that sometimes we will keep someone in a seat too long. Before Wolf, I struggled with this. I think what's important to know is that if you're feeling this, that member of your team is probably also feeling it too. And so while it might seem difficult in the short term, in the long term, making these decisions, but making them with empathy and ensuring that you know, you're making decisions and changes to the business in a way that feels really good and empathetic is the way to go. It's not about keeping someone if you don't think it's working. And difficult decisions, it's something that I struggle with and that I continuously try to improve on and um, talk to my mentors about. What I've learned is if you can make a decision, even if it's difficult, if you do it with empathy and care, you're making the right decision. Well, that's a great piece of advice. And I mean, even Macy and I right now, we're looking at adding new members to our team. So we're in the process of interviewing and we're finding it hard because we just love everybody. So it's really hard to pick one. So I can see, but yeah, know that that advice that you just shared, I mean, it's really, really useful. Macy and I can use it right now. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Now I do want to talk a little bit more about the process of, you know, making the wills and how the sure. company works and all of that. Because I think yeah. it's so cool. And one of the biggest things when I think about wills and why people maybe don't want to do it kind of like what you said earlier but by writing a will we're kind of acknowledging our own mortality yeah. are we not and that is that's really scary and I I definitely don't want to do that I don't want to think about dying like I'm 21 years old like that's not but unfortunately is a possibility and of course that happens to everybody so it's definitely a difficult thing to do do you have any kind of ideas around ways to make it a more approachable conversation and a more approachable thought process to have? Because it can be a difficult thought process to go through. Absolutely. So there's a couple of things there. The first thing is I think reframing it. We like to think of a will as similar to insurance. When you purchase car insurance or home insurance or life insurance, you're not purchasing that insurance to use or to consume on a day-to-day -day basis. You're buying it in case something bad happens, in case you get in that car accident or in case your home 
gets robbed or whatever the case may be. And so I think it's important to reframe estate planning similar to life insurance. You're purchasing insurance to help your family should something happen, right? The thing about the will is if you specify your wishes and you lay out what you want to happen after you pass away, it just reduces like the time and the stress on your family. And that is a gift that I think most of us would want to give our family. So if you reframe the will, not about so much you and your immortality and more around helping and preparing your family, I think it becomes a little bit of a different context. That's hard for people, but I think that analogy helps. So that's the first step. Secondly, there's a misconception that if you don't own a lot, and especially for you know young millennials who might just be starting out in their career and are moving out of their parents' house for the first time that you don't need a will. But the, the thing about the will is it covers things outside of money and assets. It covers things like if you have a pet, who do you want that pet to go to? And will you set aside a certain amount of funds to take care of that pet? It could be something like you have a family heirloom, say a very special piece of jewelry that was passed down to you from a grandparent. Is there someone specific in your family, like your sister or your niece that you want that to go to? If you think about the will more as a blueprint, for what you want to happen after you pass away rather than just who does my money go to, there's decisions in there that become very clear that you have to make. The reality is that every Canadian adult needs a will no matter who you are. There's obvious life changes like having a child, buying a house, getting married that would provide some impetus to get a will. Those things don't necessarily have to occur. For example, if you have a bank account, what is going to happen to that contents of that bank account? If you don't decide, the government gets to decide. And I think we would all agree the government making decisions is not something that (laughs) we want to do, especially when it comes to our estate and our possessions that we have, right? So I think that's really important. And then I think, you know, one of our goals at Willful is to destigmatize the conversations around death. Really what it comes down to when you create a will is three simple steps. One, you choose an executor who will basically close up your estate when you pass away. Two, you decide who you get your stuff, basically. And third, if you have any pets or minor children, who is going to take care of those when you pass away? And really, that's it. It's three simple decisions. Um, And then as as long as you're comfortable with those decisions, you can go online with a platform like Willful, enter in all that information, and you've got your customized set of documents. And so it's actually simpler than a lot of people think. But as humans, we just build it up as this like super complicated, impossible task that I never want to do. So we have some really good resources on the Willful Education Center. There's a conversation guide to help with your family. There's a checklist. So, you know, just sitting down and breaking it up into components, I think is really important. And if you can do that, then you're well on your way to having something in place. That's awesome. I mean, the way that you break it down right there makes it seem so much less scary than I built it up to be in my head. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, And with all of that in mind, when would you say would be a good age to start thinking about making a will? I think as soon as, I mean, the legal age in your province of residence is really the time to start. I know that's not always where people think they should start, but again, it really does come down to if you have any, like a bank account even, and you want to decide who that money would go to, that is the time to start a will. So I would suggest as soon as you turn um, of age, but often what happens is people do a will as they go through major life changes. So one of the most common reasons that people come to Willful is because they're having their first child. So they now have this little important asset that they needs to take care of and they want to make sure that they're taking care of that child through guardianship and all of these other things. So the main reasons we see people come to Willful is buying a house, having a child, or getting a pet. Again, every adult needs a will, but at the very least, if you come to Willful or uh, another will provider and do your will in one of those scenarios, you'll be well on your way. Hey, it's Macy here. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. 
make sure to subscribe to join the conversation and never miss out on another piece of practical career advice. One of the big things for people is you have to update your wealth. So anytime your life changes, you should update it. So if you get a cat in addition to your dog, or you get a really valuable piece of jewelry that's really important to you, and you want to make sure that's passed on to somebody specific, you want to update your will. And so with Willful, we offer unlimited changes to the documents, which is different than, say, going to a lawyer who would charge you for an hourly rate or using a do-it-yourself will kit, which you'd have to buy again and redo the, the entire process. So again, just reducing the barriers, uh, you know, we want to make it as easy as we possibly can to ensure that these things are, are up to date and, and changing with you as your life changes. Wow, that's amazing. You really, got, you guys are really innovating the way that this whole system, this important life moment and life decision is made. That's really, really cool. Every single day for your job, obviously, you're talking about wills, which involves talking about death and planning for it. So does this make you more aware of your own mortality and does it kind of scare you or, or just get kind of, I guess, negative in a sense as well? I wouldn't say it's negative. No, I would say it makes it much more approachable. I didn't have a will when I started working at Wiffle. It made me realize the importance of having one and it made me realize the implications of not having one. And for me, that was enough to kind of say, oh, hey, like we better get this in place because if we don't, it's going to be really hard on my family. And, you know, I want my money and assets to go to certain people. And if I don't decide that, then somebody else is going to, and it may be not adhering to my wishes. So I think just the exposure and visibility into what happens if you don't have a will was really important in, in terms of me, obviously, really aligning with Wolfville's mission and destigmatizing the conversation for me. And because we do it every day, it's not hard to talk about. It's become a hot topic in family discussions with my family and all, you know, all areas of death and estate planning. And even things like, you know, one of the things we talk about a, a lot, and we actually just did a study with one password about this is, you know, having conversations with your parents who may not have wills or you know how are we going to pass on our digital assets right there's this whole other realm of things that we own like instagram accounts and facebook and all of these things like what's going to happen to those when we pass away and so you know we have lots of really exciting and interesting conversations about all of these things so i would just say you know it's become more approachable and it's it's inevitable so the more you can prepare for it the better now as much as we would love to just speak with you for hours i know i learned so much just in this short period of time that we've been talking we do have to bring the interview to a close but before we do that we just want to give you this time to share with the listeners any last words of wisdom advice whatever you'd like the time is yours well, I would be remiss to not say go get a will. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Whether yeah. it's willful or not willful, the most important thing is that you get one in place. Uh, and other than that, no, I think we, we've covered lots of topics today. Be curious, fail to feel smarter. And at the end of the day, make sure that how you spend your time every day is exciting and um, something that you want to do. So thanks for having me. It was a really great conversation and you asked really good questions. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was an absolute pleasure. And like Macy already said, we learned so much. Honestly, you've convinced me that I, th that I think it's, <laughs> I'm going to go get a will now. <laughs> you convinced me. So um, thank you so much for sharing your story today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you learned something new. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website for more exclusive content. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to Power in Heels.